All right. Uh, again, thank you so much for attending our Bible study for this evening. The main question or topic we're going to be discussing is presented there. Was there an apostasy or a turning away from the true faith of the first century ecclesia? The word ecclesia is a Greek word which is often translated but incorrectly translated as church. The more accurate translation is assembly or congregation. So when Yahushua was here on earth, he built the ecclesia, which are his followers. And the question that is raised is, was the first century followers, the ecclesia, did they turn away from the true faith? But before we go there, let's go to our preliminary questions. Let's go to this one in particular. Hello, brother. I have a question about sin that I hope will be included in the BQA. I also have a second question about preaching. First question. Uh, what is considered a sin? James 4.17, the NIV, it says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. What happens if I learned the law but forgot to apply it in a certain situation? Is it still a sin? Or if I didn't know the right thing to do because I didn't make the connection between the situation and the commandment but knew the commandment, is it a sin? So the question is about sin. Namely, let's address the first aspect of the question, which is what is considered sin? And he cites a verse, James 4, 17. And this is a good place to start, actually. Let's read James 4 in the verses 17. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And so this is an example of a sin of omission, which means they know a good that they're supposed to do. For example, to help someone who is in need, to help those who are in poverty, to worship Yahuwah Abba. They know a good that they're supposed to do, but they don't do it. It's a sin of omission. That is James 4, 17. There's also, however, the sin of commission, which is the sin of committing something, doing something which results in sin. Now, what exactly is that? First John 3, 3 and 4, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So what is the sin of commission? It is the sin that results from transgressing the law of Yahuwah Abba, specifically the Ten Commandments. So when we know the Ten Commandments of Yahuwah Elohim, and we transgress the law, we commit a sin. So we have the sin of omission and the sin of commission. And the foundation by which we identify what is sin is the word of God, specifically the Ten Commandments of Yahuwah Elohim. Now, let's go back to his question because he also um, adds something to it, which, which I think a lot of us can relate to and want to know the answer to. And that is right here. What happens if I learn the law but forgot to apply, to apply it in a certain situation? Is it still a sin? Or if I don't know the right thing to do because I didn't make the connection between the situation and the commandment, but knew the commandment. And so this is a concern of someone who is truly loving Yahuwah Abba, because you don't usually ask this question if you are not interested in fulfilling the command of God. So this person we know has a good heart. He wants to please Yahuwah Abba. But as human beings, we know we are imperfect, right? There are, cert there are certain situations where, where we know the law of God 
and we forget the law of God so we commit sin. Or maybe we don't add one and two together and we look at a situation which requires us to act in a good way according to the law of Abba, but we don't do it. And so we are often guilty of the sin of omission and commission all the time. Sometimes we're not even aware of our sin. So if this is uh, done, if this, if this is what we end up doing, does it mean it's still a sin? Well, it is still a sin, but what does the Bible call this kind of sin? Leviticus 4, 2 to 3, speak to the children of Israel, saying, if a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of Yahuwah in anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to Yahuwah for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish, as a sin offering. What we read to you there concerns what is called unintentional sins. And under the old covenant, there was an instruction given so the people who were guilty of unintentional sins, which are sins like what the viewer asked, they forgot the command of God or did not apply it correctly in this, the proper context or the situation. It's still sin, but it's unintentional. And like with all sin, what needs to happen under the old covenant is that there is an atonement that, me that needs to be made for that sin. And so you go to the priest and you present uh, yourself, right? And you offer, you, the, the priest will conduct and administer the burnt offering required for the forgiveness of sin. However, if there is unintentional sin, there is also in intentional sin. Now, what exactly does that mean? Am I guilty of intentional sin? In the book of Numbers 15, 30 to 31, but anyone who sins defiantly, whether native born or alien, blasphemes Yahuwah, and that person must be cut off from his people because he has despised Yahuwah's word and broken his commands. That person must surely be cut off. His guilt remains on him. So the Bible speaks not only of unintentional sins, but defiant sins. What is sinning defiantly against Yahuwah? Not only is this person sinning intentionally, they sin intentionally without thought about Yahuwah and his commandments, without thinking. Or in, in, in actuality, they're doing it out of defiance. They want to rebel against Yahuwah Alba. How can I know if I am sinning defiantly against God? If you commit sin and you don't care, right? You don't care if you break the laws of God. You even break the laws of God to taunt him because maybe you don't believe in Yahuwah Alba. That's an example of one sinning defiantly. And of course, the person asking the question, we know this is not what he and many of us are guilty of. If we sin, it's often because of unintentional sin, because we don't do it defiantly. So under the old covenant, there were certain protocols that needed to happen for the sins to be forgiven. Under the new covenant, of which Christ is the mediator, what needs to happen? Let's read Hebrews 9.15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. And so under the new covenant, who is the mediator? 
Christ Yahushua. He died on our behalf, and his perfect sacrifice, his shed blood, he has set us free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So under the second covenant, or the new covenant, of which Yahushua is the mediator, there's no need for us to bring a sheep or a lamb or a bull or a goat for this forgiveness of our sins. We no longer go through those rituals that was put away with by our king, Yahushua. However, for us to receive forgiveness of sins, what do we still need to do? First John 1, 8 to 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. And so the person who asks this question, we know he has a good heart and we know that he is willing and ready to forgive, uh, to confess sin. And this is exactly what Apostle John wants us to do. We should never think that we are so perfect or so good that we don't commit sin. When a person says, I don't commit sin, he already committed sin. Because all human beings, it isn't inherent in our nature to commit sin. And so we do commit sin. Yahuwah God knows that. This is why he sent his only begotten son to die in our stead, right? And so what we need to do is to go to Yahushua, confess our sins. And if we, forget, if we confess our sins, what is the promise? Our sins will be forgiven and we will be purified. Okay, so that's question number one. Second question, which is about preaching. It says Mark. Uh, in Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. When Christ said this, does it also refer to his disciples today? Is it a commandment to all his disciples from when he was alive and even his disciples today should preach? Who should be the ones to preach the gospel? And so the question is based upon Mark 16, 15. And the first question we want to address is this part. When Christ said this, does it also refer to his disciples today? Yes. What's the proof? Well, let's go ahead and read uh, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Yahushua came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the command to his disciples to preach or proclaim the gospel, is this command only for the disciples in the first century? No, it extends all the way to the end of the age. In fact, this is our responsibility, being members of the assembly of Yahushua. We have to proclaim the gospel and convince people to receive baptism, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to know the commandments taught by our King, Yahushua. This is our responsibility until the end of time. But the question is, well, who should be the ones to do the preaching? Does it mean every single disciple is going to preach? Not necessarily, because in 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11, each one as a good manager of God's different gifts, must use for the good of others the special gift he has received from God. Those who preach must preach God's messages. Those who serve must serve with the strength that God gives them 
so that in all things praise may be given to God through Yahushua Christ, to whom belong glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Now, when it says that we are to go out and preach the gospel, does it mean that this is the responsibility of every single individual to actually preach the gospel like what I'm doing today? Well, it depends on your gifting. If you're gifted by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel, then it's what you should be doing, right? Because not everyone is gifted when it comes to proclaiming the word of God, right? We all have different gifts. And it comes from the same Father through Yahushua, empowered by the Holy Spirit. All of us in the different in the, in the body of Yahushua, we are all different parts of the body. Different parts correspond to different gifts. There are those with the gift to sing praises, gift to serve, gift to help, gift uh, the gift to give. And there are those who are gifted to teach and to preach. So all there are those who are gifted to proclaim in a formal capacity those. Uh, the message of the gospel. So they should preach the gospel. However, it doesn't mean that the rest of us will have no participation when it comes to sharing the gospel. What can we do if we're not formally preaching or presenting the word of God? The book of Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what is the responsibility of everyone, which fits the context of preaching the gospel mentioned in Mark 16 and Matthew 28? We need to tell people about who? Yahushua. This is our responsibility, so much so that our theme for 2022 which is the upcoming year for 2022. Our theme will be to get people to know Yahusha, that he actually lived, he died, and he resurrected. This will be our ministry for the year 2022. We're going to have a special program just for that. And all of us can participate by talking to people about our King and Mashiach, Yahusha. This is why we have been given the Holy Spirit so that we can be empowered to be the witnesses of our loving Mashiach, Yahusha. We need to do this until the end of the age, okay? All right, let's go now to the next set of questions. Kajan, it's in Tagalog, it's translated in English. I hope I got the translation somewhat correct. Bakit hindi po natupadin nakasulat sa Pasugo, Julio, 1956, Pahina 7. Nabasa rin ninyo sa ating mga leksyon na karaan about Apokalipsis 26 na maghahari si Yahushua ng isang uh, libong taon sa lupa bago ang katapusan. I think that should be katapusan if I'm correct. Am I right? Yeah. Katapusan ng mundo. So in English, why was what was written on page 7 of the July 1956 Pasugo not fulfilled? Pasugo, by the way, is the God's Message magazine, which is a magazine published by the Iglesia Nicrisa or the Church of Christ in English. You also read to us from previous lessons about Revelation 26 that Yahushua will rule for a thousand years before the end of the world. And so the question is based on what is written on page 7 of the Pasugo. Um, this is what the image that the uh, person asking the question sent me. It's an attached image in the question. And so I'm just going to share with you what he shared with me. 
so that you can see it on the screen as well. And so he's citing this one, uh, Pasugo, July 1956, page 7, Ang Huling Sugo ng Diyos sa Wakas ng Lupa, si Kapatid na Felix Manalo ay Huling Sugo, the underlined portion of that paragraph, ng Diyos sa Wakas ng Lupa, also underlined portion, ay wala ng iba pang sugong darating kundi ang kakilakilabot ng paghuhukom o ang katapusan ng pag-iral ng sanglibutang ito. So I translated the portion, the title, and the two underlined statements, and this is what uh, I got in English, The Last Messenger of God of the Ends of the Earth, July 1956, page 7, and in quote, Brother Felix Manalo is the last messenger of God during the end times. There is no other messenger that will come but the terrifying judgment or the end of the existence of this world. And so I want to first address the question, do we believe Brother Felix Manalo is the last messenger of God? Before I address that question, let us first define what we mean when we say Brother Felix Manalo is a messenger. Do I believe Brother Felix Manalo is a messenger of God? Absolutely. 100% I believe Brother Felix Manalo is a messenger of God. However, we need to also clarify what it means to be a messenger of God because there are different functions of a messenger of God. An angel from heaven, a celestial being, is also called what? Messenger, right? And so we need to know in what sense is Brother Felix Manalo a messenger of God? Because we discussed previously, I believe in one of our programs in the BQA, about the the distinct works of the messengers of God before and after the Bible was completed, right? And so there was the work of inspiration and the work of illumination. What's the work of inspiration? That's when all the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so that in English, in the Greek word, inspiration means God breathed. And so he was using individuals to write the scripture. So it becomes the word of God. And so there are specific individuals who are endowed with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of writing the words of God. And normally, who are they? In 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation for prophecy never had its own origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so the work of inspiration basically is direct revelation from God, right, to the person writing the book of scriptures so that there are no errors in scripture. And so when a person's writing and he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, that is authoritative writing because it directly comes from Yahuwah Abba and the person's receiving new revelation, okay? New revelation from the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Scriptures were written by over 40 different uh, people spanning a time of over 1,500 years. Question, is the Bible still being written today? No, it's already been written. It was the, the last person to write the Bible was the Apostle John. And so if you were to ask me who's the last messenger in terms of receiving a message, a new message from Yehuwah Abba and Yehusha HaMashiach, it would be the Apostle John, right? He would be the last messenger because the other works after the Apostle John, it would not be the work of inspiration, 
but the work of illumination. What is that? When you explain what's already written. Does both require the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no inspiration and there's no illumination. There are many uh, religious teachers today, but if they don't have the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they cannot give illumination to the passages of scripture. So there's inspiration. There is also illumination. The work of inspiration is the work of writing down the Bible, getting unique and never before seen messages from God, and then they write it down. So what they write down becomes authoritative. That's inspiration. And usually what God, the people used by God, the Old Testament, to put together the Old Testament, they were what? Prophets, right? The New, the New Testament, he used the apostles and those who were close to the apostles. And so during our time, after the Bible was complete, uh, how is the work of illumination done? So 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers. God added many different gifts, one of them being a teacher or a preacher of the word of God. And so what do they do? They do the work of illuminating. And so there are those whom Yahuwah empowers by his spirit to give us illumination. In that sense, he is what? Messenger. Do we believe? Brother Felix Manalo is a messenger. Yes. But he's a messenger, not in the same sense that Apostle John is a messenger. You get the difference? Apostle John is authoritative. But Brother Felix Manalo is relying on what was already written. He's illuminating on what was already written. This is why he often said, do not listen to me. Listen to the Bible. Because Brother Felix Manalo was telling you he's not the authority. And so we should not think and preach that he is the authority. No, if we do that, we're going beyond scripture. The authority is the Bible. And so we go to the Bible uh, for our authority. Brother Felix Manalo gives us illumination because he teaches us what is in the word of God. Can he make a mistake? Yes, it's possible because he's human being. He's a human being. I make mistakes all the time. You know, preachers of the word of God will make mistakes because they are not doing the work of inspiration, but the work of illumination. And from time to time, because the work of the spirit occurs at a lesser degree than it occurred when the, the Bible was being put to pen and paper. Okay. And so we have teachers. We believe Brother Felix Manalo is a teacher, a proclaimer of the word of God. In that sense, he is a messenger. And so having said that, we believe, okay, Brother Felix Manalo was a messenger in the last days, but he's not the last messenger. You see the difference? You know, because in the Proscugo magazine, it says Brother Felix Manalo is the last messenger. I don't believe he's the last messenger. Is he a messenger? Yeah, but he's a messenger in the last days. Well, what period did this, this discover? The last days. Let's read the book of Acts 2, 17 to 21. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit on everyone. Your sons and daughters will speak what God has revealed. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit on my servants on both men and women. They will speak what God has revealed. I will work miracles in the sky and give signs on the earth, blood, fire, and clouds of smoke 
the sun will become dark and the moon will become as red as blood before the terrifying day of the Lord comes. Then whoever calls on the name of Yahuwah will be saved. And so the last days can encompass the beginning of the Christian era, right? Because when Apostle Peter uh, quoted the book of Joel, he was applying it to what happened on the day of Pentecost, which was in the first century. So in the first century, uh, the last days was already running. It was already beginning. But that extends all the way to the, uh, to the day of Yahuwah, the day of the Lord, right? It goes all the way there, the day of the Lord. And so from that time, the day of Pentecost, all the way to the day of the Lord, we call that the last days. And so Brother Felix Manalo preached. He proclaimed the word of God within that interval of time. And so he is a messenger in the last days, but he's not the last messenger because when we say he's the last messenger, it will create contradictions. Like what? Well, if you go back to the magazine that we quoted, right? Because when they define Brother Felix Manalo as the last messenger of God in these end times, this is their definition of Brother Felix Manalo being the last messenger. There's no other messenger that will come but the terrifying judgment or the end of the existence of this world. So they give us a sequence of events. First, Brother Felix Manalo comes and preaches the gospel, right? And we believe in what he preached. Next comes the terrifying judgment, judgment day. After that, the end of the existence of this world. Remember, I just translated a quote from the Pasugo magazine, okay? So this is what's going to happen sequentially. However, between the proclaiming and the preaching of Brother Felix Manalo and the time of the terrifying judgment and the end of, and the end of the existence of this world, so many events are going to happen according to the Bible. And the one who asked the question even cited one of them in, Revel in what he wrote there. You also read to us from previous lessons about Revelation 26 that Yahusha will rule for 1,000 years before the end of the world. So before judgment comes, final judgment, and before um, the end of the world in terms of fire and destroying the heavens and the earth will come, there's going to be this span of a thousand year rule of our king, Yahusha. Is that biblical? I mean, what other events are going to happen before final judgment and before the new heavens and the new earth? There's so many things that's going to happen. Like what? Revelation 20, verse 6, blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection the second death has no power over them but they will be priests of god and of christ and will reign with him for a thousand years and so the bible says there's going to be this day of resurrection right and so this will happen in the future and so this will happen after the preaching of brother felix manal am i right right so because this hasn't happened yet it's going to happen in the future and so there are people who belong to yahushua and they will be resurrected those who belong to Yahushua, they're going to rule with Yahushua as priests of God and priests of Christ. For how long will they, will they reign for? Thousands of years, a thousand years, right? And so that already destroys the idea that Yahushua, is, that uh, Brother Felix Manalo is the last messenger. Because we, guess what our function will be when we rule with Yahushua? We're going to be teaching we're going to be revealing the message of Yahusha. Does that, does that not make us messengers? Those who rule with Yahusha are messengers 
who were going to teach the people during the thousand year reign here on earth. And so it doesn't make sense that Brother Felix Manalo is the last messenger when there will be those who will co-rule with Mashiach and they'll be teaching people about the word of Yahuwah Abba. What else will happen? The book of Revelation, this is sequentially now, after the thousand years is over, what happens? When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So after the 1,000 year rule, what's going to happen? Satan is going to be released from his prison only to be punished, right? But before he is punished, there's people whose number is like the sand on the seashore who's going to be deceived, believe it or not. That's the power of deception. Satan has this uncanny ability to trick and deceive people. And even after the thousand year millennial reign, Satan is able to deceive so many people and they're all going to perish together with the devil in the lake of fire. So that's another event that's going to happen. After that, what happens next? Revelation 20, 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he has done. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so right after Satan is released from his prison, there's going to be this white throne, the great white throne judgment. That's the terrifying day of judgment, wherein the dead is going to be judged. And so after this event, what's going to transpire next? Again, this is all sequential. Let's go to Revelation 21, 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things had passed away. And so after this judgment takes place, what happens next? The Bible says the new heavens and the new earth appears. And there is the new Jerusalem, the holy city. And so our dwelling will be from here on earth in the millennial kingdom. And we're going to be transferred to heaven the new heaven and the new earth. Well, what happened to the first heaven and the first earth? It had passed away. And so it's at this point where the heavens and the earth 
will be destroyed. And how will it be destroyed? In 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so how does the first heaven and the first earth pass? The Bible says the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. And then the new heavens and the new earth will appear in which righteousness dwells. So all of these events are going to happen, right? That's why when we look at the quote from the Pasugo magazine, there's no other messenger that will come but the terrifying judgment or the end of the existence of this world. It is basically ignoring all the events that will come between the proclaiming of Brother Felix Manalo and the uh, millennial kingdom and the events that happen afterwards, ignoring all the other works that are to be done, including the work of the two witnesses, which we spoke of before. And so we don't believe that Brother Felix Manalo is the last messenger, but we believe he is a messenger in the last days, okay? All right, let's go to the next question. Um, ang doktrina ng INC ay natalikod ang unang iglesia ni Cristo at ito po ba ay totoo? Parang salungat sa turo ng mga apostol na nakasulat sa unang Timoteo 4.1 at Mateo 16.8 na may small remnant na magpapatuloy. So the doctrine of the INC, the first century church of Christ turned away from the faith. Is this true? It seems that what was taught by the apostles written in Timothy 4.1 and Matthew 16.18 contradict that there's a small remnant that will continue. Uh, salamat po. Okay, so question is kind of twofold. First, is it true that the first century church turned away from the faith or apostatized? We'll, we'll, uh, we'll answer that question later. Uh, but also, as an add-on, it seems that what was taught in 1 Timothy and Matthew 16, 18 contradicts that there is a small remnant that will continue. And so let's go ahead and examine that first. Let's read what is in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, and try to understand uh, the reason why this was asked as a, as a question in the first place. Why? Because of 1 Timothy 4, 1, there should not be a small remnant or that there's no apostasy that took place. Let's read Timothy 4, 1. This is what it says. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, so we are in the ends of time, in latter times, some will depart from the faith. There you go. Uh, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And so according to Timothy 4, 1, 4, 1 some will depart from the faith, right? Not many. You see the difference? It's some, not majority. Because remember, you only have a remnant if there's an apostasy. And you only have an apostasy when the majority turns away from the faith, right? But if it's only some, that's not an apostasy. If it's only some, there's no need for a remnant, right? 
So the, if there's a remnant, it means there's like a majority who turns away from the faith. But the Apostle Paul says, in latter times, some will depart from the faith. However, uh, when we look at the Greek word for some, this is what it says, right? Will depart, you see the highlighted word there, some, will depart from some, the faith. When you look at the word some, it is the uh, Hebrew word, uh, the Greek word, actually, not Hebrew, the Greek word, uh, tines. And this is what it says. It's the Greek word 5100. And it basically means a certain, a certain one. And so it doesn't necessarily mean just some or a portion. In fact, when you look at the way it's used in the Holy Bible, more often than not, it's translated certain or something or or a certain man or anything and so there's like there's some vagueness in that greek word when translated into english in some other translations of timothy first for one in the ylt which is the youngest literal translation and the spirit expressly speaketh that in latter times shall certain fall away from the faith and so that word some cannot be used really as a basis for concluding there is no apostasy that's going to happen in the first century church of uh, Christ or the first uh, assembly of Yahusha. Okay, let's go look at the other one, Matthew 16, 18. Does Matthew 16, 18 contradict this idea of an apostasy? Let's read Matthew 16, 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my assembly, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it and so here's our king Yahusha he says he's going to build his assembly right and he says not even the gates of Hades shall prevail against it now in the statement of our king Yahusha there is no indication whatsoever this that, that that this passage contradicts the notion that there's an apostasy because what Yahusha is saying is I will build my church the gates of Hades or the gates of death shall not prevail against it. It doesn't say that there will be no deviation from the faith. In fact, Yahusha himself said uh, that after he leaves, many of you will fall astray because of the rise of many false prophets. And so what then does it mean that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it? Is this Yahusha's guarantee there's, there's no apostasy? No. What is this guarantee all about? Why did he say not even the gates of Hades shall prevail against it? First Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know that what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Yahusha died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Yahusha returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have Dying. And so when Yahusha returns, what will happen to those who have died in Yahusha? They will be risen back to life. This is why Yahusha said, not even death, not even the power of Hades will prevail over you. Because if you belong to me, if you belong to my assembly, you will rise again. And so death doesn't prevail because they will live again, right? So that's what it means. What else does it mean? Revelation 26, blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. This is why Yahushua said not even the powers of death, not even the gates of hell has power over those who belong to the assembly, because Yahushua will resurrect them 
and the power of the second death will have no power over them. And so when you, what Yahushua spoke about Matthew 16, 18 was in the context of death, not the context of apostasy. Okay. And so now let's go to the question connected to that. The first century church of Christ turned away from the faith. Is this true? Which is, by the way, the doctrine of the Iglesia Nequisa. Do we believe that the first century church of Christ turned away from the faith? I believe so. Yes, the church of the first century assembly did turn away from the faith. And this was even forewarned by the apostle Paul in Acts 20, 28 to 31. So guard yourselves and God's people, feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. And so Apostle Paul, he was leading the congregations throughout different places, and he was very particular about what the church elders were doing. And so he gave a warning and he gave this warning with tears because he knew something terrible was going to happen. What was that? He said after his death, once he's gone, these false teachers are going to be like vicious wolves. And they're going to destroy the flock of our King Yahushua. How will they be destroyed? The Bible says men from your own group, these are the bishops and the elders, will rise up. And what will they do? They will distort the truth. You see, that's what apostasy is. When people end up believing and following not the truth, but something, this, but distorted truth, when you twist the truth. And so turning away from the faith is basically what Apostle Paul is warning us about. He says the flock is not going to be spared because there's going to be false teachers who will teach not the truth, but a distorted version of the truth, leading people away from Yahuwah leading people away from Yahusha. That's the apostasy Apostle Paul was warning about. Was this fulfilled? But yeah, according to church historians, the church in history, the apostolic age came to a close around the year 100. The apostles were followed by the apostolic fathers. From the writings, we can see that the signs of deterioration were disturbing the church in the course of the next 400 years that deterioration increased steadily. Right doctrine is important. Wrong doctrine will hurt the church. The church cannot live with false doctrine. So the last half of the second century was a time of tremendous crisis for the church. And so according to this historian, when he examined the writing of the church fathers, remember, not the Bible, okay? Because the Bible is already completed by 90 AD. And then the apostles all died, right? And so now... The historians are turning to the writings of those who followed the apostles. They were called the apostolic fathers. When they examined the writings, what did they find? Signs of deterioration. And so they found that right after 100 AD, all the way to even the early parts of the second century, there was deviation from the truth taught by the Apostles, other historians also find the same thing. Cyprian, writing from Africa, said there was a mass apostasy led by bishops. So the very people 
who were supposed to lead the flock, or they're the ones teaching false doctrine, leading to uh, the turning away from the faith. And, you know, after the apostles died in 980, you know, what one of the things that started to disappear, one of the things that they removed from the Holy Bible, let's read here, uh, in the story of the Christian church, uh, for 50 years after St. Paul's life, a curtain hangs over the church through which we strive vainly to look. And when at last it arises about 120 AD with the writings of the earliest church fathers, we find a church in many aspects very different from that in the days of St. Peter and Paul. The Christians of the second and third centuries battled not only against a persecuting heathen world, but also against heresies and corrupt doctrines within their own fold. We can notice only a few of the most important among the sects of that period. So there was great change when you compare the, the assembly in 120 AD and the assembly in 60 AD when the apostles were, most of the apostles were still around. There's a big difference. There's a shift in doctrine. And one of the first things that they changed was, according to another historian, was the replacement for the name. These replacements were done early, since after the second century of our era, no more traces of the writing and pronunciation of the name are found, except among a few Christian scholars. And so one of the first things that they did with the, with the text, with the original manuscripts, was to replace the tetragrammaton with L-O-R-D, the tetragrammaton with Hashem, or the name, and this was done primarily by the Jews. And so we can see the persecution came from the Jews and later by the Romans, and both combined to help create an apostatized uh, Christianity, okay? And so if you will take a look uh, at the, what happened because of the replacement, when they started replacing the actual name of Yahuwah with L-O-R-D, something happened because of that. Thus, after 150 AD, God's name disappeared of most usual copies in Greek of the Septuagint or the New Testament. For example, Tertullian, a Latin Christian, quoted the text of Matthew 22, 44 to prove that both Jesus and God were the same, Lord. But he mistook Lord used as YHWH, the name of God, and Lord used as title for the Messiah. So there was a confusion. And so all of a sudden, planted in the mind of this guy, Tertullian, right? He had this idea, wait a minute, you know, it says that God is Lord and Yahusha is Lord. Therefore, Yahusha must be God <laughs> because he did not realize that instead of L-O-R-D, it should have been Y-H-W-H or Yahuwah. And so that's what happened. And so it started by replacing the name of Yahuwah, not using the name. And even to this very day, mainstream Christianity do they, do they follow? Do they use the actual name of Yahuwah and the name of the son Yahusha? No. Up to this very time, you know, mainstream Christianity has rejected the Hebrew names of Yahuwah and Yahusha. And so this is part of what we are restoring. What else happened? Let's read the Jesus establishment. This is what happened at Nicaea some six weeks uh, after the council opened on June 19, 325. Emperor Constantine insisted that all bishops who had been present should endorse a new creed that confirmed Christ as gone and condemned Arias. Uh, anyone who did not sign this document was to be excommunicated and exiled. So after replacing the name 
of Yahuwah with L-O-R-D or, or Hashem or the name. Now the pagans come in, right? First of all, the Jews come and they replace the name, they remove the name. Now he come pagans led by Constantine. And what does he do? He gives a new doctrine. And this doctrine is that Jesus is, or Yahusha is, God. And anyone who does not sign in with this new document is to be excommunicated and exiled. But Constantine doesn't stop there. What also does he do? He, Constantine required all the people to rest on the sun's day. This law was enacted in AD 321. Christians, according to Constantine, shall not Judaize and be idle on Saturday, but shall work on that day. But the Lord's day, they shall especially honor. And as being Christians, shall, if possible, do no work on that day. If, however, they are found Judaizing, they shall be shut out from Christ. So Constantine, not only does he change the doctrine about Christ into a trinity, him being God also, he also changes the Sabbath from Saturday to, to Sunday. And so these are the things that happened, which proved there was an apostasy of the first century assembly of Yahusha. And so we know from history, both biblical and secular history, when we look at the writings of the early um, apostolic fathers, we find deteriorations which suggest corrupt doctrines infiltrating the assembly in the first century. And so we know there was indeed an apostasy. And so when we go back to the question, uh, does it contradict? Does Timothy 4.1, Matthew 16.18 contradict that there was an apostasy? No, it doesn't say that there was there, Timothy 4.1 and Matthew 16.18 uh, does not tell us that apostasy is impossible. It was prophesied and it was fulfilled. However, what also is in scripture? It is the small remnant. The pattern of the small remnant also is there because if there's an apostasy, there's also a small remnant. This is the pattern. For, there, for a small remnant to be there, there has to be an apostasy, which means the majority of God's people reject or turn away from him. Okay, So there's always going to be a small remnant. And this pattern is found throughout scripture. And we're not surprised because Ecclesiastes 3.15 tells us what is happening now has happened before and what will happen in the future has happened before because God makes the same things happen over and over again. This is why we need to learn from the patterns of prophecy. Because if we learn from the patterns of prophecy, then we are not doomed to repeat the sad consequences of not following the will of Yahuwah Abba. So we need to learn from the patterns of prophecy. And what is one pattern? Daniel 9, 11 to 12. Daniel, remember in our studies in the past, yes, all Israel has transgressed your law. So all Israel transgressed the law of Yahuwah Abba and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, a servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him and he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. And so all Israel, all Judah, when it says all Israel, that's Judah and Israel, right? So all Israel, they transgress the law of Yahuwah. So do they turn away from their faith? 
Yeah, were they punished because of that? Absolutely. This is why they became captives and they were deported into Babylon. There was the uh, captivity and the desolation of the land of Jerusalem. And so they were punished by Yahuwah. They turned against Yahuwah. They apostatized. However, look at what Jeremiah says. We're talking about the same time frame here. Daniel was citing uh, Jeremiah when they were in captivity. And this is what Jeremiah had to say. And these are words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem unto, what does it say? The remnant of the elders of the removal and unto the priests and unto the prophets and unto all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar removed from Jerusalem to Babylon. For thus says Yahuwah, surely at the fullness of Babylon, 70 years, I inspect you and have established towards uh, you my good word to bring you back unto this place. So according to Jeremiah, even though the people of Israel, all of Israel apostatized or turned away from God, there was still what? A remnant. And the remnant got the good news that 70 years is about to end and they're going to go back to the land. And so there's a prophecy, a prophecy and also a pattern of apostasy and a remnant. When was, all, when was this also in play? First Kings 19, 1-3, when Ahab got home. He told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, made a God strike me and even kill me. If by this time tomorrow, I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And so here we have Elijah, and we know he was going against Queen Jezebel and Ahab the king of Israel. At this point, Israel, under the leadership of Ahab, they turned away from Yahuwah. Is this an apostasy? Yes. And who was against them? Elijah, the prophet, right? And so Elijah, the prophet, after winning this battle against the prophets of Baal, and Ahab told Jezebel about what happened, Jezebel was so upset and so angry. What did she say? May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed Elijah. And so Elijah became afraid and he left, right? And so when he left, he found a cave and he went to the cave. And while in the cave, guess who speaks to him? Let's read 19, 9 to 10. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But Yahuwah said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served Yahuwah God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, right? And so they turned away from Yahuwah. They apostatized from Yahuwah. The people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And so you can kind of feel bad for the prophet Elijah. Right? And so this is the conversation that they had. And after this, Yahuwah uh, uh, gave him a demonstration of his power to kind of pacify Elijah. Kind of telling Elijah, don't worry, even though you're by yourself, I'm with you. <laughs> you know, so Elijah got the strength because of Yahuwah's fellowship with him. And which is also what we do, right? When we feel alone sometimes, we draw strength from our fellowship with Yahuwah Abba. Now, when this history was being explained by the Holy Spirit uh, using Apostle Paul as the instrument. 
How did Apostle Paul explain this? Romans 11, 2 to 5. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me. Remember, this is what uh, Elijah said to Yahuwah Abba, right? And we did not get the entire story in, in the book of First Kings. We did not get the complete details. But the Holy Spirit is filling us in with the details. And Apostle Paul is the instrument. And so Apostle Paul, writing under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, gives us the details. Okay, and what does Apostle Paul say? He says in verse 4, and what was God's answer to him? We didn't get this in the Kings, in the first Kings story, right? But now we get it here. I have, this is what Yahuwah says to prophet Elijah, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And so Elijah had no idea there was a remnant, right? To him, he was a prophet. <laughs> he was a prophet of God. But I had no idea there was actually a remnant that Yahuwah set apart for himself. And so this pattern of apostasy and a remnant being set apart by Yahuwah Abba, that is always acted upon. It's always in play. And Apostle Paul says, even at this present time, you see that? See, Apostle Paul was aware of that pattern. And he said that pattern of a remnant is applied even at this time. And he was speaking, of course, of those who chose to follow our king, Yahusha. And of course, when we go back to Isaiah 1, 8 to 9, even to this very day, this very day, the pattern of apostasy, the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless Yahuwah of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We, we would have been made like Gomorrah. And so to this, even to this very day, Yahuwah, the pattern of apostasy in a small remnant, the daughter of Zion leaving Yahuwah Abba in apostasy, but Yahuwah leaving behind a small remnant who will continue the work of Yahuwah Abba. And what is that work? Let's read one more passage before we pray. The book of Acts 3, 19 and 21. Repent then and turn to God. Want to pause there for a while. Who needs to repent? Those who have apostatized, those who have sinned. Remember, when we commit sin, what do we do? We're turning away from the faith, right? When we commit sin, whether it's a single sin or a complete rejection of Mashiach, right? We have turned away from Yahuwah. So what do we need to do? We need to make a U-turn. In fact, the word repent means changing direction. And so the Bible says repent, change direction, return to Yahuwah, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Yahusha. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. What is the work of the assembly of Yahusha? We have to repent and return to who? Yahuwah. What does that include? How can we repent and return to Yahuwah if what we practice is no longer the truth? Because there was the apostasy. So what is the work of the assembly of Yahusha? To restore 
the truth, to restore what was practiced before the apostasy took place, to restore what was practiced during the days of the apostles, right? This is why when we study what happened after the death of the apostles, what happened? They replaced the name of Yahuwah and they put L-O-R-D. We need to restore that. What else? They turned Yahusha into God as one of the Trinity. We need to restore that. What else? They removed the Sabbath. We need to restore that as well. Why? Because we are leading the work of repenting and returning to Yahuwah Abba, but we cannot return to Yahuwah completely. Unless, of course, we are able to restore the truth according to the written word of God. You see, we have to go back to the written word of God. You must not deviate from the written word of God because that is what is needed for us so that we can fully return, repent, and turn to Yahuwah Abba. Okay, that is our lesson for today. Let us all stand for our prayer. Almighty and loving Abba, Yahuwah Almighty, thank you so much for bestowing upon us the wisdom from your holy book. Please give us illumination, enlightenment through your Holy Spirit. Sometimes we do admit when we study your book, there are mysterious statements. Help us to understand them better. Help us that we may know your desires, your will for our life. We do not rely on our intelligence alone because we know they are prone to error. We rely completely, O loving Abba, to your wisdom, the work of your spirit. Loving Mashiach Yahushua, may you lead the assembly as we seek the truth. Bless us with wisdom. May you be at the center of our lives, and may we base everything we do to please you and to please our Abba. Father, please bless your people throughout the world as we study your holy book together. Help us to be prepared and help us to do our best to glorify and to worship you. Father, please bless those with whom we share the messages of your truth too. May they also be moved to action that we can be together in this glorious work to testify of you and to testify of your son. We believe, loving Father, you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.